0: part ten of benjamin Britten source stories of twelve operas by various this librivox recording is in the public domain part ten owen wingrave henry james owen wingrave section two before seeing young leishmere mr coyle had determined to telegraph an inquiry to miss wingrave he had prepaid the answer which being promptly put into his hand brought the interview we have just related to a close he immediately drove off to baker street where the lady had said she awaited him and five minutes after he got there as he sat with owen wingrave's remarkable aunt he repeated over several times in his angry sadness and with the infallibility of his experience he's so intelligent he's so intelligent he had declared it had been a luxury to put such a fellow through of course he's intelligent what else could he be we have never that i know of had but one idiot in the family said jane wingrave this was an allusion that mr coyle could understand and it brought home to him another of the reasons for the disappointment the humiliation as it were of the good people at paramore at the same time that it gave an example of the conscientious coarseness he had on former occasions observed in his interlocutus poor philip wingrave her late brother's eldest son was literally imbecile and banished from view deformed unsocial irretrievable he had been relegated to a private asylum and had become among the friends of the family only a little hushed lugubrious legend all the hopes of the house picturesque paramour now unintermittently old sir philip's rather melancholy home his infirmities would keep him there to the last were therefore collected on the second boy's head which nature as if in compunction for her previous botch had in addition to making it strikingly handsome filled with remarkable originalities and talents these two had been the only children of the old man's only son who like so many of his ancestors had given up a gallant young life to the service of his country owen wingrave the elder had received his death cut in close quarters from an afghan sabre the blow had come crashing across his skull his wife at that time in india was about to give birth to her third child and when the event took place in darkness and anguish the baby came lifeless into the world and the mother sank under the multiplication of her woes the second of the little boys in england who was at paramore with his grandfather became the peculiar charge of his aunt the only unmarried one and during the interesting sunday that by urgent invitation spencer coyle busy as he was had after consenting to put owen through spent under that roof the celebrated crammer received a vivid impression of the influences exerted at least in intention by miss wingrave indeed the picture of this short visit remained with the observant little man a curious one the vision of an impoverished jacobean house shabby and remarkably creepy but full of character still and full of felicity as a setting for the distinguished figure of the peaceful old soldier sir philip wingrave a relic rather than a celebrity was a small brown erect octogenarian with smouldering eyes and a studied courtesy he liked to do the diminished honours of his house but even when with a shaky hand he lighted a bedroom candle for a deprecating guest it was impossible not to feel that beneath the surface he was a merciless old warrior the eye of the imagination could glance back into his crowded eastern past back at episodes in which his scrupulous forms would only have made him more terrible mr coyle remembered also two other figures a faded inoffensive mrs julian domesticated there by a system of frequent visits as the widow of an officer and a particular friend of miss wingrave and a remarkably clever little girl of eighteen who was this lady's daughter and who struck the speculative visitor as already formed for other relations she was very impertinent to owen and in the course of a long walk that he had taken with the young man and the effect of which in much talk had been to clench his high opinion of him he had learned for owen chattered confidentially that mrs julian was the sister of a very gallant gentleman captain hume walker of the artillery who had fallen in the indian mutiny and between whom and miss wingrave it had been that lady's one known concession a passage of some delicacy taking a tragic turn was believed to have been enacted they had been engaged to be married but she had given away to the jealousy of her nature had broken with him and sent him off to his fate which had been horrible a passionate sense of having wronged him a hard eternal remorse had thereupon taken possession of her and when his poor sister linked also to a soldier had by a still heavier blow been left almost without resources she had devoted herself charitably to a long expiation She had sought comfort in taking Mrs. Julian to live much of the time at Paramore, where she became an unremunerated, though not uncriticised, housekeeper, and Spencer Coyle suspected that it was a part of this comfort that she could at her leisure trample on her the impression of jane wingrave was not the faintest he had gathered on that intensifying sunday an occasion singularly tinged for him with the sense of bereavement and mourning and memory of names never mentioned of the far-away plaint of widows and the echoes of battles and bad news it was all military indeed and mr coyle was made to shudder a little at the profession of which he helped to open the door to harmless young men miss wingrave moreover might have made such a bad conscience worse so cold and clear a good one looked at him out of her hard fine eyes and trumpeted in her sonorous voice she was a high distinguished person angular but not awkward with a large forehead and abundant black hair arranged like that of a woman conceiving perhaps excusably of her head as noble and irregularly streaked to-day with white if however she represented for spencer coyle the genius of a military race it was not that she had the step of a grenadier or the vocabulary of a camp follower it was only that such sympathies were vividly implied in the general fact to which her very presence and each of her actions and glances and tones were a constant and direct allusion the paramount valour of her family if she was military it was because she sprang from a military house and because she wouldn't for the world have been anything but what the wingraves had been she was almost vulgar about her ancestors and if one had been tempted to quarrel with her one would have found a fair pretext in her defective sense of proportion this temptation however said nothing to spencer coyle for whom as a strong character revealing itself in colour and sound she was as a spectacle and who was glad to regard her as a force exerted on his own side he wished her nephew had more of her narrowness instead of being almost cursed with the tendency to look at things in their relations he wondered why when she came up to town she always resorted to baker street for lodgings he had never known nor heard of baker street as a residence he associated it only with bazaars and photographers he divined in her a rigid indifference to everything that was not the passion of her life nothing really mattered to her but that and she would have occupied apartments in whitechapel if they had been a feature in her tactics she had received her visitor in a large cold faded room furnished with slippery seats and decorated with alabaster vases and wax flowers the only little personal comfort for which she appeared to have looked out was a fat catalogue of the army and navy stores which reposed on a vast desolate table-cover of false blue her clear forehead it was like a porcelain slate a receptacle for addresses and sums had flushed when her nephew's crammer told her the extraordinary news but he saw she was fortunately more angry than frightened she had essentially she would always have too little imagination for fear and the healthy habit moreover of facing everything had taught her that the occasion usually found her a quantity to reckon with Mr. Coyle saw that her only fear at present could have been that of not being able to prevent her nephew from being absurd, and that to such an apprehension as this she was, in fact, inaccessible. Practically, too, she was not troubled by surprise. She recognized none of the futile, none of the subtle sentiments if philip had for an hour made a fool of himself she was angry disconcerted as she would have been on learning that he had confessed to debts or fallen in love with a low girl but there remained in any annoyance the saving fact that no one could make a fool of her i don't know when i've taken such an interest in a young man i think i never have since i began to handle them mr coyle said i like him i believe in him it's been a delight to see how he was going oh i know how they go miss wingrave threw back her head with a familiar briskness as if a rapid procession of the generations had flashed before her rattling their scabbards and spurs spencer coyle recognized the intimation that she had nothing to learn from anybody about the natural carriage of a wingrave and he even felt convicted by her next words of being in her eyes with the troubled story of his check his weak complaint of his pupil rather a poor creature if you like him she exclaimed for mercy's sake keep him quiet mr coyle began to explain to her that this was less easy than she appeared to imagine but he perceived that she understood very little of what he said the more he insisted that the boy had a kind of intellectual independence the more this struck her as a conclusive proof that her nephew was a wingrave and a soldier it was not till he mentioned to her that owen had spoken of the profession of arms as of something that would be beneath him it was not till her attention was arrested by this intenser light on the complexity of the problem that miss wingrave broke out after a moment's stupefied reflection send him to see me immediately that's exactly what i wanted to ask your leave to do but i have wanted also to prepare you for the worst to make you understand that he strikes me as really obstinate and to suggest to you that the most powerful arguments at your command especially if you should be able to put your hand on some intensely practical one will be none too effective i think i've got a powerful argument miss wingrave looked very hard at her visitor he didn't know in the least what it was but he begged her to put it forward without delay he promised that their young man should come to baker street that evening mentioning however that he had already urged him to spend without delay a couple of days at eastbourne this led jane wingrave to inquire with surprise what virtue there might be in that expensive remedy and to reply with decision when mr coyle had said the the virtue of a little rest a little change a little relief to overwrought nerves ah don't coddle him he's costing us a great deal of money i'll talk to him and i'll take him down to paramore then i'll send him back to you straightened out spencer coyle hailed this pledge superficially with satisfaction but before he quitted miss wingrave he became conscious that he had really taken on a new anxiety a restlessness that made him say to himself groaning inwardly oh she is a grenadier at bottom and she'll have no tact i don't know what her powerful argument is i'm only afraid she'll be stupid and make him worse the old man's better he's capable of tact though he's not quite an extinct volcano owen will probably put him in a rage in short the difficulty is that the boy's the best of them spencer coyle felt afresh that evening at dinner that the boy was the best of them young wingrave who he was pleased to observe had not yet proceeded to the seaside appeared at the repast as usual looking inevitably a little self-conscious but not too original for bayswater he talked very naturally to mrs coyle who had thought him from the first the most beautiful young man they had ever received so that the person most ill at ease was poor lechmere who took great trouble as if from the deepest delicacy not to meet the eye of his misguided mate spencer coyle however paid the penalty of his own profundity in feeling more and more worried he could so easily see that there were all sorts of things in his young friend that the people of paramore wouldn't understand he began even already to react against the notion of his being harassed to reflect that after all he had a right to his ideas to remember that he was of a substance too fine to be in fairness roughly used it was in this way that the ardent little crammer with his whimsical perceptions and complicated sympathies was generally condemned not to settle down comfortably either into his displeasures or into his enthusiasms his love of the real truth never gave him a chance to enjoy them he mentioned to wingrave after dinner the propriety of an immediate visit to baker street and the young man looking queer as he thought that is smiling again with the exaggerated glory he had shown in their recent interview went off to face the ordeal spencer coyle noted that he was scared he was afraid of his aunt but somehow this didn't strike him as a sign of pusillanimity he should have been scared he was well aware in the poor boy's place and the sight of his pupil marching up to the battery in spite of his terrors was a positive suggestion of the temperament of the soldier many a plucky youth would have shirked this particular peril he has got ideas young lechmere broke out to his instructor after his comrade had quitted the house he was evidently bewildered and agitated he had an emotion to work off He had before dinner gone straight to his friend, as Mr. Coyle had requested, and had elicited from him that his scruples were founded on an overwhelming conviction of the stupidity, the crass barbarism, he called it, of war. His great complaint was that people hadn't invented anything cleverer, and he was determined to show the only way he could that he wasn't such an ass and he thinks all the great generals ought to have been shot, and that Napoleon Bonaparte, in particular the greatest, was a criminal, a monster for whom language has no adequate name. Mr. Coyle rejoined, completing young Lechmere's picture, he favored you, I see, with exactly the same pearls of wisdom that he produced for me, but I want to know what you said." i said they were awful rot young lechmere spoke with emphasis and he was slightly surprised to hear mr coyle laugh incongruously at this just declaration and then after a moment continue it's all very curious i dare say there's something in it but it's a pity he told me when it was that the question began to strike him in that light four or five years ago when he did a lot of reading about all the great swells and their campaigns hannibal and julius caesar marlborough and frederick and bonaparte he has done a lot of reading and he says it opened his eyes he says that a wave of disgust rolled over him he talked about the immeasurable misery of wars and asked me why nations don't tear to pieces the governments the rulers that go in for them he hates poor old bonaparte worst of all well poor old bonaparte was a brute he was a frightful ruffian mr cole unexpectedly declared but i suppose you didn't admit that oh i dare say he was objectionable and i'm very glad we laid him on his back but the point i made to wingrave was that his own behaviour would excite no end of remark young lechmere hesitated an instant and then he added i told him he must be prepared for the worst "'Of course he asked you what you meant by the worst,' said Spencer Coyle. "'Yes, he asked me that. And do you know what I said? I said people would say that his conscientious scruples and his wave of disgust were only a pretext. Then he asked, "'A pretext for what?' "'Ah, he rather had you there,' Mr. Coyle exclaimed, with a little laugh that was mystifying to his pupil. "'Not a bit, for I told him.' "'What did you tell him?' Once more for a few seconds with his conscious eyes in his instructor's, the young man hung fire. Why, what we spoke of a few hours ago, the appearance he'd present of not having the honest youth faltered a moment, then brought it out the military temperament, don't you know? But do you know what he said to that? Young Lechmere went on. Damn the military temperament, the crammer promptly replied young lechmere stared mr coyle's tone left him uncertain if he was attributing the phrase to wingrave or uttering his own opinion but he exclaimed those were exactly his words he doesn't care said mr Coyle. perhaps not but it isn't fair for him to abuse us fellows i told him it's the finest temperament in the world and that there's nothing so splendid as pluck and heroism ah there you had him i told him it was unworthy of him to abuse a gallant a magnificent profession i told him there's no type so fine as that of the soldier doing his duty that's essentially your type my dear boy young lechmere blushed he couldn't make out and the danger was naturally unexpected to him whether at that moment he didn't exist mainly for the recreation of his friend but he was partly reassured by the genial way this friend continued laying a hand on his shoulder keep at him that way we may do something i'm extremely obliged to you another doubt however remained unassuaged a doubt which led him to exclaim to mr coyle before they dropped the painful subject he doesn't care but it's awfully odd he shouldn't so it is but remember what you said this afternoon i mean about your not advising people to make insinuations to you i believe i should knock a fellow down said young lechmere mr coyle had got up the conversation had taken place while they sat together after mrs coyle's withdrawal from the dinner-table and the head of the establishment administered to his disciple on principles that were a part of his thoroughness a glass of excellent claret the disciple also on his feet lingered an instant not for another go as he would have called it at the decanter but to wipe his microscopic moustache with prolonged and unusual care his companion saw he had something to bring out which required a final effort and waited for him an instant with a hand on the knob of the door then as young lechmere approached him spencer coyle grew conscious of an unwonted intensity in the round and ingenuous face the boy was nervous but he tried to behave like a man of the world of course it's between ourselves he stammered and i wouldn't breathe such a thing to any one who wasn't interested in poor wingrave as you are but do you think he funks it mr coyle looked at him so hard for an instant that he was visibly frightened at what he had said funks it funks what why what we're talking about the service young lechmere gave a little gulp and added with a naivete almost pathetic to spencer coyle "Uh, the dangers you know do you mean he's thinking of his skin young lechmere's eyes expanded appealingly and what his instructor saw in his pink face HE EVEN THOUGHT HE SAW A TEAR, WAS THE DREAD OF A DISAPPOINTMENT SHOCKING IN THE DEGREE IN WHICH THE LOYALTY OF ADMIRATION HAD BEEN GREAT. IS HE—IS HE AFRAID? REPEATED THE HONEST LAD, WITH A QUAVER OF SUSPENSE. DEAR, NO! SAID SPENCER COYLE, TURNING HIS BACK. YOUNG Lechmere FELT A LITTLE SNUBBED, AND EVEN A LITTLE ASHAMED, BUT HE FELT STILL MORE RELIEVED. End of Part 10